Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm here with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, Dr. I'm hoping one day to be Dr. Megan Hall, but in philosophy, or not philosophy, psychology. It's late at night. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Sandra is a board certified internal medicine physician, speaker, and author. She is an international wellness expert featured in numerous media outlets, including Prevention, MSNBC, Women's Day, Fox, Fast Company, Psychology Today, and as a guest on the Dr. Oz Show. <laughs> we all have to check that out. Um, she is the author of numerous books, including her new book, Sacred Rest, Recover for Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. Um, I'm going to link that up in the show notes for anybody who wants to check it out and um, any of your other books that I can uh, find along the way. Um, so it's including a ground, groundbreaking insight on the seven types of rest needed to optimize your productivity, increase overall happiness, overcome burnout, and live your best life. Over 100,000 people have discovered their personal rest deficits using her free assessment at realquiz, or restquiz.com, not realquiz.com. <laughs> Learn more about Dr. Sandra at I choose my best and Dr. Dalton Smith.com. And we're going to link that up in the show notes. So anybody who wants to check it out, I know it can be hard when you're listening. You're like, I might be driving. I need that information. I'll link it up. I got you. So Dr. Sandra, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. So when you applied, you shared that you've been through some stuff. <laughs> I would love for you to share a little bit with us about your past. I'd love to have you share a little bit about that as much as you feel comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess just starting from the very beginning, I've always kind of looked at myself as one who kind of started in a position where things just didn't line up for what I call your perfect picture. Mm -hmm. You know, my mother died soon after childbirth. So my father was in the military and wasn't prepared to raise a child by himself. He walked into that hospital, a husband, ready to have his first child and left their widow with a newborn. And so, you know, it was one of those situations where I can't blame him because I know that I, I can't, can't even imagine what that had to be like for a right. 20 year old guy. And so he was in the military, he couldn't just kind of take off. So I was raised by my great grandmother. And it was one of those situations where I can recall even just being a child looking at everybody else's family and knowing that mine didn't look like that, you know? And then as a teenager growing up, you know, as a young girl, not having that, that mother figure who I feel like I can really relate to because my grandmother acted like a grandmother to me. It wasn't like a mother daughter type relationship. And so it was very interesting because when I was growing up, I always, because in the back of my mind had this thought process that really that, I had to be responsible for whatever happened in my life. And I took on a lot of responsibility with that. And, you know, that was part of the thing that pushed me through medical school. It was part of the things that kind of kept me very driven and kind of in a place of always wanting to get to the the top of whatever it was that I could get to. 
And I stayed in that mindset for a very long time. And you know, around the time I was probably in my early, late 20s, early 30s, is when it really came to a head. I had two young kids at that point. They were both toddlers. I was married. I had a very successful career. And you know, the surface, my life looked very beautiful, but it felt horrible to live. I was so burned out. You know, even during that time, I was in the news and in magazines and getting all the media and had book contracts and all this different stuff that, like I said, looked very successful. But when you burn out, it doesn't matter how successful all of that stuff looks, you're just not enjoying your life anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's where I ended up. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there with the burnout. (laughs) Yeah. And for me... And for me, everybody um, that has been listening for a while knows I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So um, I burn out and went hypomanic and was like, F this, I'm not doing any of this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what happened with me. Um, And I know some other people who are not bipolar, you know, up and quit the things when they're, they're burnout as well. Um, What would you do? What'd you do? Well, I didn't quit everything because honestly, that's how we were paying bills. So, (laughs) you know, so at that point, it was one of those things where in the back of my head, I knew that that something was broken. Mm -hmm. I knew that there was something I didn't understand that it got me to that point that needed to be corrected. I didn't know what it was, but I just knew that I was beyond exhausted. Now, I'm not talking about, I just need a nap. I mean, I felt like every part of me had been drained to zero. And I recall one day just coming home and I put my toddlers in front of the TV, you know, after getting them from daycare, had been at the hospital in the office for eight, nine hours. And I remember just laying out on that floor and I was just like, I don't want to move. I don't want to get up. I don't know what the kids are doing over there with that TV. I don't want to move. And when I was laying there, it was as if it was the first time I had stopped. I mean, my life was so busy. I was always running, always doing things, always you know, had my schedule packed. And I think that's the first time it kind of dawned on me that I needed to figure out how to get some type of rest and or kind of activity adjustments within my life. And I think the first thing that came to mind was really just that I needed to get more sleep because, you know, physicians, we don't necessarily have really great sleep habits. So, (laughs) So I thought, okay, maybe I'm so tired, I just need more sleep. And after probably about a couple of months of trying to do that, trying to make a point of getting those eight, nine hours of sleep every night, I was still exhausted. Mm. And the part of me that is very kind of research science oriented, I have a biochemistry background. So my history is that I'm familiar with doing a lot of research. I really got to a point where I was like, I need to research what the issue is because if, if, if I'm tired and it's not sleep, then what is it? Because (laughs) that's what we've always kind of lumped this tired under is that you need to get more sleep. And when that doesn't work, either the system's broken or I'm critically broken. You know, our understanding's broken or there's something that we're missing. And so that took me on a journey of about the past eight years of studying what is rest? What does it look like? How do we get it? Are Are there more than one type? And so, you know, what I found was there were actually seven different types. And most of us don't know about them. We just think it's all sleep or cessation of activity. Right. So can you share with us the seven types? Because now I'm curious. (laughs) 
<laughs> like yeah, so. seven times. I thought I just needed sleep. Well, that's the thing. If, if you think it's just sleep and you go to bed and wake up and you're still tired, now what? So <laughs> that's where the seven types come in. So the seven are the physical, the mental, the spiritual aspects of rest. And then the four types that most people have never heard of or are very unfamiliar with are the emotional, social, sensory, and creative types of rest. I often need social rest because I, I consider myself an empath and I get overwhelmed with too much socializing. So or in an introvert, introvert slash empath. And I'm like, I just, I hit that wall. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the meme going around social media that was like, I just hit a wall and I'm done. That's me. Like, I'll be out, I'll be socializing, I'll be having fun. And then suddenly my friends will look at me like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I got to go home. (laughs) Is that what you're talking about when you talk about social? Well, what you're describing actually kind of falls under a couple of different things, but social rest specifically deals with the rest we experience when we are around life-giving people. So it's actually not the avoidance. So it's the opposite of what I was saying. It actually is. (laughs) And so what you're describing is just some time for solitude, which really falls under the the bucket of sensory rest. It's kind of not being stimulated. And I think most of us, that's the thing. Our social interactions, we're staying kind of stimulated. And so breaking away, having time for solitude and silence and, and really just letting our sensory inputs downgrade is very helpful. And it is important to to have some idea of if you are, if you consider yourself to be an introvert or an extrovert or what your personality types are, because each of them responds differently as far as what types of rest they're more prone to have a rest deficit in. So as a doctor, I'd love for you to walk us through the seven types of rest and what that would mean for you, like an example for you as a doctor. So maybe people can see what it might be like for them. Yeah, absolutely. So physical rest, I'll start with the rest deficit. So someone with a physical rest deficit may experience shoulder aches and pains, or they may notice that their legs stay tight and tired, or they're they're even swelling because they're being sedentary for long periods of time. Um, Or they may notice that they're getting sick when other people aren't, their immune system shot because of the consistent um, stress response overload that they're having. And so a way to kind of downgrade that would not just be the passive type of physical rest, which is sleeping and napping, but to get some active types of physical rest, which include things like yoga and stretching and leisure Mm, walks, where you're improving the circulation and and the lymphatics. So that's the physical part of it. And then mental rest deficit, um, for myself, what that looks like is I lay down at night, and if I have a mental rest deficit, I may notice that I can't turn my head off. So I'm thinking about every conversation that I had that day that didn't go the way I wanted, rephrasing how I would say it next time if it comes around, checking off my to-do list for the next day when I'm supposed to be getting ready for bed. So my head's thinking of all of these thoughts and doing all of these checklists, and I can't get my brain to kind of go to that quiet spot, Mm. which then prevents you from actually getting any high quality sleep. And so a simple way to kind of reverse that would be something we call brain dumping having a notepad, journal, post-it note, whatever, something to just jot down whatever those thoughts are so that I don't feel like my brain has to be responsible all night to hold on to that information. Right. Let it go. And I know it's in a safe place because I wrote it down somewhere. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually have some uh, journals I keep near my bedside 
So like, if I'm thinking about something like, oh, I have to remember that tomorrow morning, I can just write it down. Because otherwise you're just going to lay there for like an hour thinking about that one yeah. thing. And if you just write it down, then it's, it's there. You can check it out in the morning. So true. It's like the brain thinks this is too important to let go. Because if I let it go, then she won't remember it. And I don't want to let her down. And it will hold on to that information at the expense of you actually going to sleep. Right. And then the next is spiritual rest. Spiritual rest is, is different for each person, depending on what your spiritual beliefs are. But at the core of it is really just having this um, understanding that you're kind of part of something bigger. You feel like you belong kind of to the greater part of what the world is and that you feel that connection, that acceptance for who you are. And so for, that can look different depending on your spiritual beliefs, whether that's prayer or meditation, just ways where you continue to feel as if you're part of, of everything that's happening and that you're connected. Right. I, I like how you said spiritual, because, you know, like you said, for everybody that's different, some people like to go to church, some people like to sit in nature, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, I like how you, how you put that. That's yeah. That speaks to me. <laughs> yep. The next would be emotional. That's probably the one that I find that most people have the, that, that tends to be the most common for a lot of people. Emotional, emotional rest deficit looks like someone who feels as if they are sometimes feel like they're being taken advantage of. Like if you're the person who everyone comes to because they know you're going to say yes, even if you don't want to do it, you're a little bit of a people pleasing behavior attached to that. Um, or if you're someone who, has to consistently be on. So you're either like the owner of a company or in leadership some way or, or being looked up to by other people. And you feel like you have to kind of keep that professionalism mask on all the time. You always have to be kind of that person who's always kind of in control and got it all together. That's where emotional rest deficits kind of arise from because you feel like you're always kind of behind that mask. So if they're anxious or they're depressed or they're having anything else go on in their life, they tend to keep it in because they've learned that behavior, that being authentic is not safe for them. And so what emotional rest looks like is being able to be authentic, being able to say when you're not okay and having those people in your life that you can share that with, whether that's a counselor, a therapist, or a friend or a family member, but somebody. We all need someone that we can feel like we can truly be ourselves with and not have to always be undercover or yeah. people pleasing. Or somebody you can you can trust to do that. I am I am somebody who's so guilty of trusting the wrong people. And I open up and I become really vulnerable. And then you know they they spread lies about you or they tell people your intimate secrets and and stuff like that where it gets super uncomfortable. So have you ever heard of the term vulnerability hangover? Mm -hmm. Yes. That's the, I get that sometimes when I'm around those people where you open up and you think you can trust them and then you can't. Um, so on the emotional level, I would assume that would be kind of like, it would be the same. It would be on the emotional spectrum that you're talking about. You know, we have shared a, a deep part of ourselves with people who were not worthy of that information. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I'm always careful to say sometimes that does need to be a counselor or a therapist or right. a coach, kind of almost, I, I don't want to say an indifferent person, but someone who, who really has kind of almost um, is conditioned not to share that information. You know, right. they, as a for example, as a physician. I have people share things with me that have absolutely nothing to do with their medical health 
But I realize that I'm part of their emotional rest. I'm the person they can come and say, I think my husband's cheating on me. And they haven't right. told anybody. You know, they haven't talked to him or anybody else, but they're telling me. And I'm like, what can I, I and honestly, that's the thing about being someone's emotional rest source, the person they feel like they can share that with. Emotional rest comes in the telling, not in your solving. So if you're someone's emotional rest person, you don't have to solve it because the rest doesn't come in you solving the problem because usually you can't solve it. Right. It comes in them releasing it and feeling they have a safe place to release. Yeah, I get that. Um, I have a very close friend of mine and this is what we do all the time. We Voxer each other. I don't know if you've heard of Voxer, but it's yeah. like a walkie talkie app for your phone and we'll Voxer each other and we'll just go on these like tangents about the things that we're frustrated with. And we always feel better at the end. It's like neither one of us usually has like a solution to the problem, but we always feel better knowing somebody heard us out and can empathize with what we went through. And that's the thing, to see the value in that, that you don't have to solve it, that you just need someone to be there. Mm -hmm. And that really ties together with the social rest part of it, because the social rest is the, the rest we receive when we're around people who we feel are life-giving. You know, most of our relationships, we can divide into their, their draining energy from us or their mm -hmm. pouring energy back into us. And that right. changes. Because like, if you have kids and a spouse, sometimes they're pouring in, sometimes they're pulling out. Right. And so you have to kind of judge kind of how is this relationship at this season affecting me? You know, if you have a bunch of small kids, they're probably pu pulling a lot of your energy. Oh, when mine were little, they sure did. Yeah. <laughs> and if you, you know, if you have clients or a boss or coworkers, you know, those people are needing things from you all the time. And the, the problem is most of us, we spend the majority of our energy and time our relational energy with people who need things from us and not people who are just, we just enjoy being around and who right. just enjoy being around us that are life-giving, that are actually pouring back into our, our kind of relational reservoir so that we stay full and able to continue good communication and, and being able to have those strong relationships. So that's what, that's what social rest is about, making sure that you're having some adult friends, people who don't need anything from you, that you just like being around and they like being around you and you get energized from their presence. I think that's the other key part of that is that a lot of the studies, the research related to social rest has to do with the face-to-face -face or being able to hear somebody's voice. Mm. You don't get the same thing with like social media. Right. You know, FaceTime. FaceTime's a good one because you can see them Excellent. and hear their voice. Absolutely. And even, you know, because a lot of people will tell me, well, I do, you know, I, I'm connected with my friends all day through, through whatever the social media yeah. app is, you know, think about it this way. When, how many fights have happened because of social media communication? Because without the voice inflection, without seeing the person's facial expressions, mm. you don't always know what someone means. Right. And so people are constantly taking things out of context because mm. someone's just being, you know, snarky and funny, but it comes off kind of boorish because yeah. you don't see the, how they're, how they're delivering it. Right. No, I, I completely understand it. And right now, social media is so toxic anyways. Yeah. <laughs> like, who wants to be on there anyways? But I, um, I found, especially with COVID, you know, you can't really 
hang out with large groups of people and stuff like that. So I found FaceTime and Zoom to be amazing tools because you can see the person, you can hear the inflection in their voice. Like I said, my friend I talked about with Voxer, we FaceTime on the regular. She lives several states away from me. So we're definitely not seeing each other right now. Right. And so we can still do those things with technology. But I mean, I feel like we shouldn't just rely on technology when things aren't so wild (laughs) (laughs) that we should all try to like actually be around humans again because we we need that like human interaction we definitely do we thrive off of it that's part of that social rest is being able to be around people that you respond to their energy and their presence there truly is kind of a power and energy related to someone's presence i think we've all experienced it if you see a great speaker on stage and, you know, really great motivational speakers, they have this energy yeah. and you get excited and you're like, why am I excited? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just sitting here. Why am I excited? Because there's power and presence. And mm-hmm. so there are people in our lives that do the very same thing. But if we downplay that and we try to put all of our energy with those people that need things from us, you will get depleted. Yes. I, um, a book, I don't know if you've read it. Have you uh, read the energy bus? I have not heard of that one, no. Uh, it's an amazing book, and I'll link it up in the show notes. And it's really short. It's like, it's small. Um, and it talks about energy vampires. And it talks about how to prevent people from taking that energy for you. And and the energy bus basically is you want people on your bus that are giving you energy and not taking away from you. Oh, I love so, that. Yeah, and the great thing is it's, it, I sh- it's not a kid's book, but it's simple enough that like I could let my kids read it. My kids, my little ones are nine, so mm-hmm. they're not so little. So they would get it. So it's like very simple and cute. It's it's like, it'll make you laugh, um, but it makes a lot of sense. So it, it's a great book. It's a great book. I'll definitely link it up for anybody who wants to, to get that. So on with the, the next one. Yeah, I love that. The, the next one, I think we kind of hit on a little bit earlier about sensory rest and, you know, the sensory overload for most people, uh, I'll describe it like this. If you have a two-year-old and you've ever had them at like at a birthday party, the first hour, they're great. They're laughing. They're having a great time. By the second hour, they're like screaming their head off. Nobody <laughs> took the cake from them. Nobody stole a toy. They're just like beside themselves. Yeah. Sensory overload. Too much stimulation, too fast. You take that same kid, you add, you know, 14 years to them. Now they're a 16-year-old playing video games for seven, eight hours. They're a great kid when they walk in the room. They're like, they're like Jekyll and Hyde when they walk back out. Sensory overload, too much stimulation. Same thing with someone who's in their 30s, who goes to work. All the phones are ringing. They're, ha- you know, they're in meetings and they're hearing all these different voices talking, bright lights, computer screens, blue light, all of this stuff. They come home and they're grumpy and they're irritable and they are kind of wound up, too wound up. Sensory overload. So lots of ways to get overloaded, particularly if you spend a lot of time on computers and gadgets. Mm. You know, one of the key things that a lot of the research showed was just the number of notifications people have. Yes. On their phone or their computers, you know, dinging every time there's an email or, or social media, somebody posted something on social media and now it's telling you on your cell phone. All of that leads to sensory overload and really it's just getting back control of how we use our gadgets. Mm. deleting some of the notifications where they're limited to just the key ones that you need, you know, your phone and your text. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. That you need. Everything else is kind of superficial at that point and probably stressing you out in ways you don't even know. Right. Yeah. Uh, for me, I have everything on my phone, all the notifications shut off except 
text messages, phone calls, and uh, Facebook Messenger because that's how one of my daughters lives with her dad, and that's how she communicates with me. Uh, so otherwise, everything else is shut off because none of the other things are urgent. If right. somebody posts on Facebook, it's not urgent. I can go check it at any point in time. But when I had all those on my phone, um, I started doing this a couple years ago. But when I had all of those on my phone, I was constantly, um, the way I read in a paper one time was it sets off this emergency alert in your brain, even yes. though it's not an emergency and your brain in the background, even while you're doing other things, it's like, you have to check that. You have to check that. You have to check that. So you're not able to be as productive as you would without that. Absolutely. That's what all the research showed that I looked at as well. You know, it's no different than a doctor with a pager. When my pager goes off, when I'm on call, my heart rate jumps up. I, I kind of like spaz out a little bit and then I <laughs> get ready to run off to go do whatever. Should I be doing that because my friend had a latte and it was pumpkin spice in the middle of August? No. You know, <laughs> who cares? I'm happy for her. I hope it's delicious, but I don't really need that shooting my heart rate up or getting right. me all anxious for no reason. Yeah. That's why the do not disturb button is amazing. So in the morning I like to meditate and I like to do some yoga. And as soon as I wake up, I'll turn on that do not disturb mode until I'm done those things. So like even my text messages or my phone calls and stuff like that can't disturb me. Cause I mean, who, who needs to get a hold of me at 7am? My, my kids are in the house with me. So right. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we're good to go. Yeah. And I think that's the thing you just have to get, you know, there's nothing wrong with the phones. I don't have any problem with social media. We just have to kind of get back control over it. Over it. For many of us, it's like controlling us. It's telling mm -hmm. us when we're going to pick it up. It's telling us when we're going to look at it. And that's just not healthy. Oh, I agree. <laughs> then the final one is creative breath. And that's probably my favorite to, to research because it was so new and so unknown for most people. But uh, many of us have experienced it. We just didn't know what it was or what to call it. So I'll give you an example. If you're someone who's ever been to like the beach or a body of water and you don't know why, but you just feel better in that mm. setting outdoors, you just feel restored and kind of energized and uh, grounded. And you're like, I don't know what this is. I just feel better. That's creative rest. It's the energy and the rest that we experience when we allow ourselves to appreciate beauty in whatever form. So whether that's natural beauty, that's, you know, the oceans, the beaches, the park, whatever, or man-made beauty. Some people get the very same experience when they are at like a museum mm -hmm. or a, an art or art gallery or going to a symphony or something like that. So you just have to be aware that there's a benefit in that creative rest because what it does is it helps us to stay motivated. It helps us to stay inspired. It's the same reason that companies like Google and WeWork are painting bright orange walls in the middle of their brown buildings because people have to have that outlet of, for beauty and they have to be able to experience it to stay innovative, to stay creative, to stay in a place where they are kind of being able to think outside of the box. Yeah. I also think it's Google that has napping pods. Yeah. <laughs> like they have a napping room. <laughs> I love it that companies that are starting to pick up on that you know, one of uh, probably one of my favorite places that has taken to the book Sacred Rest and the Rest Quiz and all that information has been Fast Company. Um, they learned about the, the way that a lot of people are using some of these tactics to actually be more productive. And they did this full page write out and an article in their secrets of the most productive people detailing these seven types of rest and how it actually helps you 
to be more effective. And I love that because really to me, that was at the core of it. I think most of us can't bring our best selves because we're bringing our exhausted selves to the table. You know, we're showing up at work and at our whatever outlet that we, you know, engage with the world, we're showing up depleted. And then we're trying to pour out of our depletion rather than pour out of a place of really feeling restored. Yeah. So did you help heal everything from your childhood before your burnout? Or did that come with all of these multitude of rests? It came in the resting. I call that aspect of it the gifts of rest. That's the, gotcha. second, I, that's the second kind of part of the book is where I talk about the gifts of rest. Because in the resting, what happened was it created space for me to start dealing with some of these other things. Mm. For example, why do I have such a hard time sharing with people emotionally? Because right. I, I never had, I never practiced that. That wasn't something I had a chance mm -hmm. to practice. You know, I didn't have, I was the only child. So I didn't have siblings to kind of have that close person to share with like that. Like I said, my grandmother was like a grandmother. So I didn't have like a mother who was, you know, close enough in age that I felt like I could talk about boyfriends or, you know, right. those kind of things with. And so I didn't have any model of what that should look like. And so uh, that was one example. Another example would be, just that creative rest aspect of it. You know, with creative rest for myself, I had to kind of get to the core of why have I never even valued this? And it's because I've always felt like I had to work to get everything I, I earned. You know, everything that right. I had, I felt like it was my responsibility to get. And so creative, being creative and innovative and all of that creative rest aspect of it didn't seem as important as productivity. Yeah. You know, just checking something off my to-do list felt more important. So it was, it really came together because within the resting and learning of what I needed in each of these seven areas, it showed me where I had hangups and where I had trouble kind of hurdles I needed to jump in my emotional healing and just in my kind of tr background trauma healing to be able to even receive rest in some of these areas. Yeah. I find like when we, or, or me at least, and I know, and I know this might speak to you too, is I would stay so busy because then I didn't have to deal with it. Right. Like when you're busy, you don't have to think about it. If I'm like yeah. busy from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, I don't have to think about it. I don't have to deal with it. But then of course, eventually you hit a wall and you're just like, Oh crap. I am so burnt out right now. That's such a good point. And you're right. And that, that I think it's for a lot of people. It is easier to stay busy sometimes than to deal with your mess. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's just, if I stay busy, I don't really have to deal with any of this stuff, you know, just, I'll just keep moving. And maybe I can, for myself, I actually talk about it in the book, maybe I'll outrun it. That's right. what I felt like I can outrun this, I can, you know, I can make enough money, have a big enough house, you know, have enough money in the bank account, have enough clout to not have to deal with my, my drama and my trauma from the past. Problem is, that's just not true. Right. <laughs> of all that stuff. And still have all the drama and trauma just trailing right behind you the whole way till you turn around and deal with it. Yeah. I was just talking to my teenage daughter about this and I was just like, you need to go speak to someone. And she was like, no, I'll be fine. And I was like, eventually it's going to catch up to you lady. Like what you've been through and what you, you need to process through. Eventually it's going to, it's going to catch up to you. And she's like, no, I'll be okay. I'm like, I'll wait. I'll just wait. <laughs> when you're ready, you, you'll, you'll do it. But, um, I, I feel like that's a, that's most people. It's just like, Hey, if I stay busy, if I 
I can outrun this. I, like you said, I yeah. can, I can pretend like it doesn't exist until like you have to deal with it. And then it's just so much. Um, I know sometimes my, uh, therapist likes to give me crap when I, I like tried to keep myself busy and not deal with things. And she's like, are we going to talk about this? I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but she's great. I can't pull anything past her. So (laughs) that's the best kind that won't let you get away with, with trying to run away from something, but kind of pulls you back in and says, nope, we're going to stay right here till we deal with this. So what are some of your favorite ways to find rest? For me, the, the two areas that probably I had the worst score when if I was scoring myself from the beginning yeah. would have been emotional rest. Like I said, I had no clue how to even do that. And social rest because I didn't have friends. I was busy. I was too busy for friends. So I had family, but I didn't have like friends. And, the so, <laughs> and, and, and honestly, and you know, I don't call social media friends, friends. I have a lot of social right. media frank acquaintances. Yeah, you know, acquaintances. I know, they, I know they call them friends, you know. <laughs> you know, when they like your stuff, they call them friends, but, but they were just acquaintances. And so that was the biggest thing for me was to almost take some, some courageous steps of building relationships where I had never found that to be important before. Because I felt like, why build something that can be taken from you? Mm. And I think that was from the experience of having someone die at a young age. Right. So it was like, why invest my energy in a relationship that can be gone in a second, you know? And so, uh, you know, I had my core relationships with my husband and my kids, but I never really felt the, the need to have other relationships. And so that was a huge part of it, getting out, trying new things, meeting new people, finding interests that I have and people who have similar interests. Um, just making new connections. I'd always, I consider myself an introvert. So connecting and networking don't necessarily come naturally to me. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm a bit of a goofball. People who know me well, it's like, yeah, she's, she's different. So <laughs> it's okay. And, I am too. <laughs> and so, you know, it was like, I don't necessarily feel like I'm the kind of person who can just go out and be the life of the party. Mm. So it's how do you then meet people, you know, when you're not that kind of person? And so that was part of the journey for me of healing was to get very comfortable with who I am and with my own, in my own skin. You know, now most of my time is spent on stages um, speaking and virtually now, but, you know, speaking on some form of a stage. And I, if I'm looking back, I know I would have never been able to do that had I not healed that emotional wound part. Yeah because I would have never been comfortable in my own skin and who I am and feel like what my personality is, whether it's your cup of tea or not, this is who I am. Like it, love it, hate it. This is what you get. And so it takes some time to get that level of emotional and identity healing. Mm. And that was that probably the, the hardest part, but that was at the core of me feeling like I got to a point where I feel like I'm living my best life. Yeah, no, I completely understand. I was, I was such a people pleaser. I would always do these things that made me uncomfortable just because I felt like I needed to do them. But then when I, I, I really got quiet and I started to get to know myself, I don't like large gatherings. I don't, they make me uncomfortable. I try to avoid them at all costs. Now I understand like sometimes they're necessary evils, but not right now, but yeah. <laughs> in, in the non COVID world, <laughs> they were necessary evils. I found that I like one-on-one or small group gatherings. Um, I'm one of those people. I hate small talk. I don't, Same I don't, <laughs> I don't, 
I hate it so much. Like, what do you do? How are, no, I want, what, what are your interests? What, like, what are you really into? Like, what are some fun things about you? I want to get to know the person, not like, how many kids do you have? Those things will come up like in conversation. (laughs) Those are not the first things I want to know. So I I've gotten to know much like you, I've gotten to know those things about myself. So I try to facilitate those, those things instead of being like, Oh yeah, I will totally go to this huge birthday party where I don't know anybody. And I'm going to be super uncomfortable and want to leave the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) I love that because that's, that's the thing with, um, um, you know, when we talk about emotional rest and social rest and those who are so tightly kind of wound together because they both require people other than, than yourself, you know, that's the thing. I think so many of us, because our personality types and just our likes and dislikes are so different that you really have to appreciate how one person fills up socially and emotionally and how versus another person. Because I have some friends who, unless they're around a lot of people, they stay feeling drained. Yeah. It's like they need a bunch of people and they don't want the draining people. You know, they, they, they're like, they like that kind of party atmosphere where everybody's right. together and having fun and, and they, they really get filled up on that. And then I have other people who are like myself who would much rather just have coffee with a friend, that mm. one-on-one. And that's how I really fill up with social rest. It's different just depending on your own personality. It really is. So do any of the, your resources help people figure out what kind of rest is best for them? Yeah. Well, all of us are experienced some type of those seven kind of throughout our day, but most of us will have one or two that we are becoming more deficient in because we use them more in our day-to-day lives. So I have a quiz at restquiz.com. It's a free assessment. It helps you determine which of the seven types of rest you're most deficient in. That way you're not trying to like just go out and get all seven. (laughs) You're able to get the one or two focus on, I should say the one or two that you really are having a deficit in. Yeah, all I could think of was like, wow, that'd be really overwhelming to try to do all seven. <laughs> right. Yeah, the beautiful thing about it is most of us, we're already doing some of these things naturally. You know, we've, we've already recognized that rest isn't just about the cessation of activity. That is not just sleeping and napping or stopping something, but there are some things that we do within our day or our week that make us feel better. And we don't really know what, what to call it, but we know when we do those things, we feel better. So that's the great part about it. A lot of people are already doing some of these things naturally and just didn't know kind of how to label it. Yeah. I always say there's so much work that I have to do to maintain my mental stability. I got to get rest, take my meds, drink enough water, get in some yoga, avoid social media for the most part, like all these things that I have to do, but those are things I already know. And I learned over time. So you're right. Like if you, if you're, I'm in my thirties, but if you're like an adult, that's probably over 30, you you probably have a good idea of the things that make you feel good and the Mm -hmm. things that don't make you feel good. Yeah. And then just to take ownership of them at that point, you know, to be aware that if I do a lot of this X, Y, Z activity, I feel drained. Now you have to start thinking about the flip side. What is it that I can do that's a restorative activity? Because that's what rest is about. It's about restoration. So what's a restorative activity I can do to start feeling better after I do that draining activity? 
Yes. Yeah. Cause we can't completely avoid the draining activities. It's a part of life. I mean, I have, we talked about children draining you. I have children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they drain me sometimes. <laughs> children, spouses. I mean, honestly, most of our jobs, that's the point of a job. It's right. using your energy and resources. So, you know, it's common for you at the end of your work day to feel kind of drained and tired. So then you have to look at what, what did I use in my job? You know, teachers, they're, they're using creative rest, thinking up lesson plans. They're using em, um, emotional rest, dealing with different personality types. They're using social rest because they're with somebody who's needing things from them all day with the kids right. and the parents. So you have to look at kind of what you're using in your day and then think about, is there anything in my life that actually pours back into that area? So as we wrap up the podcast today, what is something or a collection of things that you would like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? Well, the very first thing is just for them to take back ownership of their time. I think for most of us, we have the reason we become sometimes so depleted and so drained is because we're not using our, our personal boundaries very well. We're giving yeses where we should be giving nos. We're trying to explain our nos, which are further draining. No is, means no. You don't have to say anything else after right. you tell somebody. It's a complete no. sentence. <laughs> rather than continuing to kind of extrapolate on what that means, just to reclaim kind of our ownership of our time. And then the second thing is to, to understand that rest is not just this, like a book you put on the shelf to get to when you have time. You have to make it a priority because otherwise you end up like one of the people I talk about in sacred rest is a young woman who ended up in my ICU because mm -hmm. she refused to make rest a priority. And so either you take, you take ownership of your rest or sometimes rest will be forced upon you. I don't think any of us want that. No, your body eventually gives up. There's only so much you can do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, Dr. Sandra, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.